welcome back to another episode of Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I'm here to give you that wrestling highlights for Monday Night Raw, NXT, AEW Dynamite, Impact Wrestling, it's Friday Night SmackDown, and also AEW Rampage. Let me just clarify this for this week, for this uh, news week. There were a lot of champions crowned. There were a lot of champions crowned on Bound for Glory, and there were a lot of champions crowned on NXT. And when I get to those segments, you will hear about those champions being crowned and the new ones uh, that were crowned. Sorry. Um. Anyway, let's get on with Monday Night Raw. Monday Night Raw opens up with Big E, Langston, uh, WWE champions, uh, entering promo. Big E's out here to pander to the Houston audience. He's here to uh, mention that Houston gave us DJ Screw. He mentions a restaurant, well, not a restaurant, a fast food chain that's apparently everywhere in Houston. He's basically pandering to a Houston fan, and now it's time to get the brass tacks. And now he challenges anybody from the back, and he asks who from the back will step up and challenge him for the WWE Championship since the draft has uh, happened, and this is the Monday Night Raw season premiere. Out comes the drip god himself, Seth Rollins, the man that I personally said that he should be facing Big E. He comes out, and guess what he does? He challenges Big E for the WWE Championship. E doesn't want to fight Seth because he told Seth that he lost to Edge at Crown Jewel inside the Hell in the Cell, so he's at the back of the line. Now you get Seth out here frustrated, and he tells Big E that he's earned his stripes on SmackDown. He made SmackDown what it is, and that Roman Reigns was a coward. And he asks Big E, do you want to be like Roman and hide behind a hide from a contender? Or do you want to be a fighting champion? Then out comes Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio tells E that he should be fighting E for the WWE Championship. And he starts running down his accolades. He runs down that uh, he was a three-time, former three-time Royal Heavyweight Champion, a former WWE Champion, an Intercontinental Champion, United States Champion, Tag Team Champion. He runs down his accolades. Then Finn Balor comes out. He claims that he should be Next in line for the WWE Championship. He runs out his accolades. A former two-time NXT champion. A former Intercontinental champion. Then out comes Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens said that, hey, since everybody's out here to run down their accolades, let me run down mine. He runs out, he's a former NXT champion. A former two-time Intercontinental champion. And also a former three-time United States champion. He also mentions how, since we're in Houston, Texas, there was history made here when I beat you, Seth Rollins, to become the Universal Champion. Now you get Seth Rollins upset. Now he starts decking Owens in the face, and then he goes after Ray, and he goes after Balor. And as soon as they start attacking Rollins, Rollins dips out of the ring, and now you get all three of the men trying to chase after Rollins. Rollins gets up to the back, and now you get Sonya Deville coming out, and she announces that tonight in the main event of Raw, it will be a WWE Championship No One Contenders Fatal 4-Way ladder match between all four of these men. Seth Rollins is happy about it, but you got Kevin Owens, Finn Balor, and Rey Mysterio that were all happy about it, and you will see all four of these men later tonight. After this, now it's time for our first match of the night. It's a triple threat tag team match, and the winners of this match will get a Raw Tag Team Championship match later on in the night. It was the Street Profits going against Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler going against American Alpha, which consists of Otis and Chad Gable. Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler won the match. When the Street Profits had the match under control and they were dominating and Dawkins was able to hit Robert Roode with a spine buster and Montez Ford was on the top, turnbuckle ready to hit it with a frog splash, out comes Omos walking down the entrance ramp. Dawkins and Ford sees this and Ford decides to jump onto Omos, but Omos catches him and throws him onto the barrier. 
Dawkins then tries to grab Omos, but Omos ends up punching Dawkins in the face, which allows Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler to hit their tag team combination, which is a spine buster with a zigzag to win the match. So Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler will be going against RK-Bro later on tonight for the Raw Tag Team Championships. After this, now it's time for our in-ring segment of the crowning coronation of Queen Selena Vega. Queen Selena comes out here, she puts on the crown, she puts on the cape, she has her scepter, and she's out here to announce that she will be a cruel, beautiful, loved, and feared queen. And as she tells everybody to bow at her feet and give her her adulation, out comes Dewdrop. And now we have our rematch from Crown Jewel between Dewdrop and Selena Vega. Well, Queen Selena Vega. And Queen Selena Vega wins the match by pinfall. And Selena wins the match when the referee was distracted for a short period of time. And Selena was able to grab her scepter and hit Dewdrop and then cover her for the win. After this, now it's time for our Raw Women's Champion Becky Lynch in-ring promo. And the main point of this promo is that Becky was gloating about retaining her Raw Women's Championship at Crown Jewel. She mentioned how she never lost the Raw Women's Championship in the first place and how she got pregnant and had to relinquish her Raw Women's Championship last year. And now that she's back, she's now trash-talking Bianca Belair saying that she beat Bianca and that she's been dominant ever since she's done that. And now Bianca's had enough and Bianca comes out. Bianca tells Becky to her face that she knows how Becky retained her championship at Crown Jewel. Becky rolled up Sasha Banks and held onto the ropes. Becky is saying that there was no rules in the triple threat match, but Bianca goes over that. Bianca said that Becky has gotten this far as champion because she always finds a way to cheat to retain her championship and has never beaten Bianca Belair straight up one-on-one fair. Bianca is tired of being disrespected by Becky Lynch and Becky tells Bianca that, you know what, if you want another championship opportunity, you're not going to get one. You have to go into the back of the line. Bianca is now fed up and she's at her ends waiting, so she decides to punch Becky. She throws her out of the ring, and now you start seeing in Bianca's face that she is really starting to lose it from not getting her one-on-one opportunity with Becky. Becky gets a Kindle stick and tries to hit Bianca with it, but Bianca catches it mid-swing. And now you got Bianca forcing the Kindle stick out of Becky's hand and start parlaying and just weighing out uh, Becky's back with the Kindle stick. And ultimately, in the end, Becky gets her championship. She goes on the entrance ramp, has a microphone in her hand, and she tells Bianca that you want your title shot? You'll get it, but it won't be tonight. And then she walks away. And it was announced at the end of the night that they will have their championship match next week on Monday Night Raw. So Becky will be defending her Raw Women's Championship against Bianca Belair next week on Raw. I don't see a title change happening. I see some more shenanigans happening. After this, we get our one-on-one match between Damian Priest and T-Bar, and Damian Priest got new entrance theme, and he also has a new character. Now it seems that they're going with the whole legitimate good versus evil. Damian Priest is 50-50. He's good, and he's evil. Whenever you push him to a limit, he turns out evil, and that happens in this match. Damian happens to win the match by disqualification, and it does, and it happens whenever T-Bar and Priest are outside of the ring fighting, and T-Bar grabs one of the commentary chairs and throws it at Priest, and it hits Priest, And you see Priest just stand there, and he has bug eyes now. And you see him just start mumbling to himself, and it looks like Priest just snaps. So Priest grabs T-Bar and just throws him directly into the barricade. Hits him with a nasty clothesline, turning T-Bar inside out. Throws him in the ring and hits him with the reckoning and lays out T-Bar. 
So this shows us that we're going to see a more nasty, violent side of Damian Priest. And I like it. After this, we get a one-on-one match between Liv Morgan and Carmella. Carmella wins the match by pinfall. And I got to admit, Carmella wins the match in style because whenever she was able to uh, dock, duck one of Liv Morgan's punches and she was able to hit it with a float over Mella Buster to win the match. I'm not going to lie. When I saw it, I was like, ooh, that was smooth. That was crisp and smooth. And I liked it. I hope she continues to use the float over Mella Buster a lot to win her matches, to be honest with you. After this, now it's time for a one-on-one match between Keith Bearcat Lee going against Cedric Alexander with Sheldon Benjamin in his corner. This was another squash match. Keith Lee wins the match when he hits the Big Bang Catastrophe on Cedric and pins him. After the match, Sheldon Benjamin gets in the ring and he just faces off with Keith Lee. Keith Lee is ready for Sheldon, but Sheldon decides, you know what, I'm going to wait. He gets out of the ring and he helps Cedric to his feet and now he walks to the back. So this is setting up for a imminent face-off between Shelton and Keith Lee. And then ultimately, we're going to get Keith Lee going against Bobby Lashley. Since Cedric and Shelton are part of the Hurt Business and the Hurt Business is there to help Bobby Lashley out, that's more than likely where we're going to end up at. Uh, They show a video of Rey Mysterio talking to his son Dominic backstage in the locker room talking about his ladder match. And then you see Austin Theory walk up to Ray and he says, oh my God, you're Ray Mysterio. And he asks Ray for a picture and he's about to take it. And he says, you know what? He hands his phone off to Dominic. He says, why don't you take the picture? Dominic's feeling disrespected. He tells Austin, I'm not a photographer. I'm not taking your photo. Theory then decides to challenge Dominic to a match and Dominic accepts. So this is where we at right here. Austin Theory going against Dominic Mysterio. Austin Theory wins the match by pinfall when Austin was able to drop Dominic on the top rope and then grab him up on the shoulders and then hit him with an ATL. The ATL is basically a spinning uh, fireman's carry into a knee drop. Now it's time for the Raw Tag Team Championship match between RK-Bro going against Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode. RK-Bro wins the match by pinfall. This happens when uh, Ziggler and Riddle were trading off pinning attempts uh, back and forth, and it looked like Ziggler at least had Riddle at one point, but Riddle was able to counter that and then hold Ziggler down to win the match. It was a good style of uh, amateur wrestling at the end to end the match, and it was also a good wrestling match. Again, WWE does well when they actually give their tag team wrestlers time to wrestle in their matches. They give them enough time when you have capable people people in the ring. So this match was good. I would suggest you to check it out. And I would suggest you also to check out the main event of Monday Night Raw, which happens next. And it was the number one contenders ladder match for the WWE Championship in a fatal four-way between Rey Mysterio, Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, and the drip god himself, Seth Rollins. And ultimately, your winner and your number one contender for the WWE Championship was Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins did this when he was able to pull Finn off the ladder and then hit him with a curb stomp. Rollins then goes to the top rope and grabs the ladder, and he grabs the contract. During the match, you had Kevin Owens put Rey Mysterio through a table. You had uh, Seth Rollins flip Kevin Owens outside of the ring onto a ladder that was uh, bridged onto the ring in the commentary table. I mean, you just had a whole lot of carnage in this match, and I would suggest you to really check it out. But still, in the end, the drip god wins. And as he's walking up the entrance ramp, he's met by Big E, and Seth Rollins is trying to extend his hand out to Big E, and Big E isn't going to shake it. So we're having our match somewhere down the line, probably before Survivor Series, just to get somebody some momentum. 
And I'm going to say this right now. Big E should win and face off Roman at Survivor Series. But if it was after Survivor Series, I wouldn't be mad if Seth Rollins were, win, were to win the WWE Championship. I know it might people might say, how dare you? We got Big E as WWE Champion. Da, da, da. I get it. I know. It's crazy. Here's the deal. Right now, they don't have enough heels to set up for Big E. They don't. Seth Rollins have a whole lot of baby faces that he can face off against if he's WWE Champion. This is where WWE always has a problem, at least on the main roster. They don't put a lot of time into making who's to go after the next champion. Whenever you crown a champion, okay, you should have about a good four sets, not four sets, but four individuals that you at least have lined up for your champion. And after one gets knocked down, you send out another, and then you, as that process is going, you rebuild up another person so they can take over that other person's spot. WWE always seems to fail at this, except when it comes to the case of Roman Reigns, and Roman Reigns has always had somebody after somebody after somebody to go against throughout his whole head of the table championship reign. Nobody has been able to do that in WWE so far. So if they get able to put that much time and energy, since you got a three-hour show on your hands, and you still have Big E as champion, give him somebody besides Seth after Seth to work with. That's all I'm asking. I'm happy that they went with Seth Rollins. I'll, matter of fact, my last episode, I said that they should go with Seth Rollins because they could play off the history between Seth and Big E. Big E taking the title off of Seth in NXT mad years ago. They could play off that. And I'm glad they're doing that. So let me just make that perfectly clear. Big E, I hope he retains. I'm just hoping that they have somebody ready for Big E after his match, with after his whole rivalry with Seth Rollins, but only time will tell. Now it's time for NXT. NXT opens up with a stairway to hell ladder match for the NXT Women's Tag Team Championships, and it's a triple threat ladder match. It has Toxic Attraction, which consists of JC Jane and Gigi Dolan going against the champions Io Shirai and Zoe Stark, and going against the team of Indy Harwell and Persia. Uh... We have new NXT Women's Tag Team Champions, and their names are Toxic Attraction, Gigi Dolan, and JC Jane. This happens when Indy Harwell was able to push Io Shirai off the ladder, and Io Shirai landed onto a ladder that was bridged between the commentary table and the ring. And I'm not going to lie, Io took a nasty fall onto the ladder. It looked like she had a concussion. It looked like she should be out for a good couple of weeks so she can make sure she's all right, because she landed directly on her shoulder slash head region, and I'm really, really concerned about this. So I hope Io takes some time off. But after this, Indy fixes up the ladder. She tries to go up the ladder to grab the championships, but JC Jane grabs Indy's leg, and Indy was able to kick JC down. And in the process, you have Gigi Dolan go up to the top, well, the top of the ladder on the other side, and kick. Indy off the ladder, and now you see Gigi grab the NXT Women's Tag Team Championship, and so this is how we get talked to the good traction as your new NXT Women's Tag Team Champions. Now they play a video of Trick Williams and Carmelo Hayes going up to Dexter Loomis and Johnny Gargano's home. Well, technically it's Dexter Loomis' home, but anyway, they roll up to the house, and it's nothing but Halloween decorations, but like a haunted house type situation. They're in the dark, 
It's creepy out. They got the whole lights around it. And Trick Williams is not trying to go into that house at all. He's telling Carmelo, hey, yo, dog, I'll wait here in the car while you go out in there and do it and grab your championship. Carmelo says, nah, Trick, I thought you were about it, about it. So you come along with me, and we're going to get my championship. It's not going to be, it's all going to be smooth and easy. <sighs> More than less, it's not smooth and easy for Trick and Carmelo to grab the NXT North American Championship because Johnny Gargano and Dexter Loomis are in the house and in a room watching Trick and Carmelo walk into the house on a camera. Gargano tells Dexter, Ayo, I tricked out this house to make a Home Alone style. Trust me, they're going to have a hard time tonight. And later throughout the whole night of NXT, you would get video of Dexter and Johnny looking at Carmelo and Trick walking throughout the house trying to look for the championship. And you see, like, people dressed up in uh, a dead person outfit or a ghostly figure or things of spooky variety and just haunting Trick and Carmelo all throughout the house. And even at one point, you had uh, Carmelo and Trick walk and then they get jumped scared by Andre Chase, who happens to be there. And Andre said that he had a group of students around this uh, place and he was trying to show them around the area. And he doesn't know where they are. So Andre is basically going to lead Carmelo and Trick throughout this whole house. So now you got Andre with Carmelo and Trick. And at one moment, as this is happening, as they're walking throughout the house, you see them look into a mirror and Dexter Loomis is right there looking back at them. They say Dexter Loomis. They turn around. Dexter's not there. Then the next minute, you see somebody grab Andre. You see somebody grab Carmelo Hayes and pull him off into another room. And then you see Trick by himself, and he's trying to figure out, okay, where Carmelo, where's Andre? And he says, Carmelo, no answer. He says, Carmelo, no answer. He turns around, Dexter Loomis is there. You see Carmelo, not Carmelo, you see Trick get hit by Dexter, and now you see Dexter just basically beating up on Trick a little bit until Trick runs away from Dexter. And now, later, you get Trick by himself, and then you see Carmelo tapping Trick on the shoulder. Carmelo turns... Uh, Trick turns around and hits Carmelo in the face. And Carmelo says, hey, man, it's me. And he says, sorry, dog. I didn't mean to do that. Why you had to scare me for? Carmelo says, man, Johnny Gargano grab you, man. Let's go. They walk into a room. He had, he sees his NXT North American Championship just uh, positioned in a way on some, a dead woman's, a dead bone's hand, like uh, Indiana Jones type of movie. Trick tells him, hey, yo, Carmelo, we need to give, you know, it's never going to be that easy. You know, movies, they don't make it that easy. Carmelo says, shut up, man. He grabs the championship and then you start seeing uh, shakings a little bit. You hear noises and Carmelo and Trick start walking out the house. They turn around. They are surrounded by Johnny Gargano, Dexter Loomis, and people that were dressed up in Halloween uh, regalia. Johnny Gargano and Dexter uh, say boo to Carmelo and Trick, and Carmelo and Trick start running towards their car, and then they leave out, and that was basically the end of this whole night for Carmelo and Trick. They end up getting the North American Championship, but they got scared in the process. Later in the night, it was announced that next week on NXT, it will be a tag team match between Johnny Gargano and Dexter Loomis going against the North American Champion Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams, so they're going to be continuing this uh, rivalry. After all these circumstances have happened now, uh, Grayson Waller 
is now apparently the new host of NXT Halloween Havoc. Because remember, last week he lost to LA Knight. And LA Knight apparently couldn't be here tonight. So Grayson Waller is out here. He's talking about women in the back wearing small, skimpy outfits. And he's then interrupted by Joe Gacy. Joe Gacy has a mic and he tells Waller that people like him are the reason why people are excluded from this type of event. He's the reason why children can't come out here and just enjoy themselves. Gacy then has a match going against Malik Blade. Malik Blade just happens to be like the jobber for everybody. For everybody, a new person chemo coming in, throw Malik in there. Throw Malik in and Malik would just basically eat the pin. That's basically what he did in this match. But during this match, however... Harlan is seen walking into the building on an entrance camera in the match. And then once Malik is on the outside of the ring and he's laid out, he sees some feet right at his head and he gets up and it's none other than Harlan. Harlan grabs Malik by the throat and you hear Joe Gacy tell Harlan, hey, let him go. Let him go. Harlan does this. Malik gets back in the ring and he runs towards the ropes. And he's about to hit some type of move, but Gacy ducks. Gacy hits a handspring, and he turns it around into a clothesline and hits Malik Blade and covers him for the win. After the match, Gacy walks up to Harlan and tells him, hey, it's me and you. I got you. It's okay. Just follow my lead, and I'll make this place a better place for people like you. And now Harlan is now aligned with Joe Gacy. And after this, we get a backstage segment of... Uh, NXT Halloween Party, you got everybody back there. You got Kyle O'Reilly and Von Wagner dressing up as, uh, well, Von Wagner's dressed up as Brad Pitt. Uh, I believe Kyle O'Reilly's probably dressed up as Magnum P.I. You have, uh, everybody's basically dressed up as Halloween costumes, all right? And you see Grayson walk over to some ladies, and he's about to try to spit some game to them, but out comes Cameron Grimes in a spacesuit. He says a corny pickup line and he ends up scaring the ladies away. Waller tells Grimes, hey man, next time. It's okay. So they're still trying to continue on with that storyline of Waller trying to help Grimes picking up ladies. After this, we get a, well, a walk to the ring promo by Malcolm Bivens. Malcolm Bivens basically says that he's throwing out an open challenge to anybody. Either you can be knocked out by Ivory Niles. You can get thrown and slammed by the Kree brothers, or you can be dominated by the Cruiserweight champion, Roderick Strong. The choice is yours, so he has an open challenge to anybody in the back. Out comes Odyssey Jones, big man Odyssey, and he picks Roderick Strong. Bivens has a disgusted look on his face, and he tells Jones, Hey man, last time I checked, I know you're not 205 pounds. And Strong tells Bivens, hey, I'll take the match. Just bring him here. And now it's time for the match. Odyssey Jones going against Roderick Strong with Diamond Mind in this corner. Strong wins the match by pinfall. This happens when Odyssey had the match won, but Brutus Creed gets on the ring apron and distracts the referee. And then Julius Creed gets on the ring apron, but Odyssey grabs Julius, throws him in the ring, and this takes Odyssey's eye off the ball, which happens to be Strong. And Strong hits a jumping knee on Odyssey. And Odyssey drops like a tree that just got chopped down. And Strong turns over Odyssey and covers him for the win. After this, we get a backstage interview with Imperium. Marcel Bartel and Fabian Eichner. And they talk about their 
upcoming NXT Tag Team Championship match against MSK later tonight. Basically, the main point is that they're here tonight to win NXT Tag Team Championships and basically help NXT go back into a traditional form because the ring is sacred to them. After this, now it's time for our NXT Women's Championship match, but between Raquel Gonzalez and Mandy Rose. And remember, the match stipulation is spin the wheel, make the deal. And as the wheel spins and the wheel happens to land on Chucky's Choice, a video of Chucky plays and he talks and he says that his choice of match is a trick or street fight. The main thing of this trick or street fight is anything goes, but to win the match, you have to pin or submit your opponent inside the ring. It can't happen outside of the ring. Mandy wins the match by pinfall. And this happens when Raquel Gonzalez spears Mandy Rose through a table that's set up in the corner. And she happens to pin Mandy, but Mandy kicks out. Raquel is standing up next to the ropes trying to regain her breath. And then you see a mysterious figure all covered in black hit Raquel Gonzalez in the back with a shovel. Raquel drops to her knees and she starts crawling towards Mandy. But Mandy gets up and runs over and hits a bicycle knee to Raquel Gonzalez in the face. Covers her and pins her, and now she is the new NXT Women's Champion. After the match, you have Toxic Attraction, all three ladies on the entrance ramp, and they're all covered in NXT Women's Championship gold. They turn back to ringside, and you see the mysterious figure standing over the body of Raquel Gonzalez, still holding that shovel. The mysterious figure unmasks herself, and it turns out to be Dakota Kai. Dakota hasn't been seen since NXT stand and deliver, so... It was a good time for her to be back here. And um, yeah, Mandy's going to have a good set of characters to wrestle with, to uh, build up her credibility as a champion. And Raquel Gonzalez is basically probably going to have her last few with Dakota before she gets up to the main roster. That's at least in my personal opinion. And I'm happy for it. And also, Mandy Rose showed out a lot in this match. Mandy Rose was able to show that she could get brutal, but... Raquel was able to get more brutal and nasty in this match, and I'm not too uh, disappointed in them. Actually, pretty happy. After this, we get Grayson Waller and LA Knight uh, in the ring, and they start mouthing off to each other. Waller tells LA Knight, I'm surprised you're even here. LA Knight said, hey, man, it's not my fault that somebody messed up with me. So it was like somebody planned for me not to be here. Waller said, hey, man, it's not my fault you had car problems. LA Knight says, I never said I had car problems. So Grayson Waller basically admitted that by just saying that, he had somebody basically mess with LA Knight's car. And as those two are mouthing off and bickering and backering so far, out come Solo Sequoia. And Solo Sequoia comes out to the ring and he attacks Waller. He super kicks him and he has a belly, belly, belly to belly on Waller to have Waller fly out of the ring. He looks towards LA Knight. Knight puts his hands up in the air and he walks out of the ring. And you see Solo just standing there in the middle of the ring, and you hear the crowd just chant, Oos, Oos, Oos. They're doing that to acknowledge that Solo Sequoia is the brother of the Usos. So he is family members and relatives to the head of the table, Roman Reigns. He's a part of that Samoan dynasty. So Solo Sequoia will be a big, major key player in NXT, if I say so myself. And I'm pretty sure people in the back know that as well. Now it's time for the NXT Tag Team Championship match between MSK and Imperium, and the stipulation for this match, again, was another spin the wheel, make the deal, and the wheel lands on 
Lumberjack-O-Lantern match, which is basically a Lumberjack match. And for people that don't know what a Lumberjack match is, is whenever wrestlers are surrounding the ring and making sure that all the competitors stay inside of the ring. If you happen to get thrown outside of the ring, they will grab you and throw you inside of the ring majority of the times. If you're a bad guy, which is a bad character, and you're outside of the ring, you might get a couple licks and stomp on somebody outside of the ring and then have to throw them back inside the ring. In this match, we have new NXT Tag Team Champions. Uh, <laughs> this was a good match between Imperium and MSK. And you know what? For the first time in MSK's history as NXT Champions, they weren't booed in this match. I mean, they probably got booed a little bit, but majority of the match, they got cheered a lot. And it was always odd how MSK got booed to me. And there's some speculation about what happened and how they got booed. You know, it requires a person's family member uh, in the audience, but I'm not so sure, and I don't like to, like, perpetuate that type of stuff like it's true. So I'm not going to label that here. But I'm glad MSK did get cheered in this because Imperium and MSK did have a great heck of a bout. But the ending just happens to be on Imperium's favor whenever they were hit the uh, Imperium bomb, which is basically uh, Fabian Eichner holding up Wesley for a powerbomb as uh, Marcel Battel goes to the top rope and hits an uppercut and they they hit their combination move and they pin Wesley and now they're the new NXT Tag Team Champions. Now it's time for the main event for the NXT Championship. It is Tommaso Ciampa, who comes out dressed up as Kratos, going against Braun Breaker, and he did not come out dressed up like his uncle Scott Steiner, even though, for the love of God, he is Scott Steiner in a parallel universe. He comes out in another, uh, comes out in in a different color singlet than he's always been wearing. He's still paying homage to his father and his uncle in their early days of professional wrestling. But I just wish this was Halloween Havoc. He would came out at least dressed up as his Uncle Scott since people always compare him technically to Scott. Uh, Tommaso does retain his NXT Championship by a pinfall. Tommaso was able to do this whenever he hits a DDT on the outside of the ring, but he removes the padding and he hits uh, Braun Breaker with a DDT on a concrete floor, throws him back in the ring. He hits the fairytale ending, but Braun kicks out of it. Then Tommaso decides to hit Braun with three sliding knees to the face of Braun and then picks him up again for the fairy tale ending. Slam him, cover him. That's the end of Braun. Braun put up a heck of a fight in this match, especially for him technically to be a rookie still and Tommaso to be a veteran. Tommaso was able to give a lot to Braun and Braun was able to dish out a lot of uh, punishment towards Tommaso. I want to congratulate both of these men on a hard fought match. NXT uh, Halloween Havoc was a great show to watch. If I, I would suggest you watch it. I would suggest you watch the main event. I would suggest you watch the tag team match before the NXT Tag Team Championships and even the NXT Tag Team uh, Women's uh, Ladder Match. Yeah, I would suggest you watch all three of those matches, to be honest with you. And even the NXT Women's Match, Women's uh, Championship Match for the NXT Women's Championship. Watch that. But again, watch the whole full, full show. It was a great show. And that is the end of NXT Halloween Havoc. Now it's time for AEW Dynamite. AEW Dynamite opens up with a one-on-one match between CM Punk and Bobby Fish. CM Punk wins the match by pinfall. CM Punk was able to hit 
the GTS on Bobby Fish to get the win. This was an old school uh, style hard hitting match between two uh, in ring veterans. And I got to admit, this was a great way to open up the night uh, between two guys that just know the fundamentals of professional wrestling and make it really, really entertaining. And uh, again, Punk won by GTS. I would not have a problem if these two were to have a rematch somewhere down the line. And also, this was Punk's debut on Dynamite. He's already had a pay-per-view debut. He's wrestled on Rampage, and this is his debut on Dynamite, the commentary table. Uh, and they let everybody know this. So, And also, they also let everybody know that CM Punk is still undefeated in AEW, so more likely he's going to be ranked somewhere high on their uh, championship ranking. So we're going to see him somewhere close going after some type of championship. That's somewhere closely uh, down the line. After this, we get a video of Malachi Black speaking. He talks about dividing up a family, and he's talking about the Rose family. He's talking about destroying the Nightmare family when Cody was gone, and he talks about making Cody do things that he wasn't used to doing, meaning last week whenever Cody had to use a table to put Malachi Black through and also use a different finish to put Malachi Black away. And he also talked about having an entire arena basically boo Cody out the building last week. And he basically made it known that this wasn't always about wins and losses between him and Cody, at least in Malachi Black's mind. And he says that in the end, the house always wins. So Malachi is nowhere, nowhere close done with Cody. And he made that perfectly clear in this. After this, now it's time for MJF's in-ring action. And MJF is with Sean Spears and Warlow, and he goes against a guy named Bryce Donovan. And MJF makes quick work of this guy. MJF wins the match in quick fashion when he hits his heat seeker uh, pile driver and wins the match by pinfall. After the match, MJF grabs the mic, and he starts crapping all over Boston. Uh, After he's done crapping all over Boston in their audience, he then moves on to talk about Darby Allin. MJF says that Darby threw down the gauntlet a couple weeks ago, and he said that he couldn't break Darby Allin mentally. MJF mentions how he must have broke Darby because he hasn't been on AEW for weeks now. MGF continues to talk crap about Darby and constantly talks crap until Sting's music hits. Now you got MGF and his company looking at the entrance ramp and they're just waiting for Sting to come out. And you give it a couple minutes, Sting's nowhere coming out and you see MGF fall to the mat and he just laughs. Sean Spears is laughing. Those two are laughing and Warlow's not. It looks like Sean Spears and MGF knew about this hoax and Warlow didn't. And it was confirmed because MGF gets on the mic and he tells Sean Spears, see, I told you that would work. God, that would, these guys are idiots. Every single one of these people are idiots. So they continue to laugh and they continue to uh, crap on Darby. And then the lights go out again. And MGF says to Spears, okay, Spears, nice one. Spears tell MGF, that's not me, man. And then a video plays and the video has words on it, and the words reads, now it's time to break you physically. The lights pop back on, and Sting is in the ring with a baseball bat behind MGF, Sean Spears, and Warlow. Sting hits Sean Spears in the back with his baseball bat, and then Warlow turns around, and Warlow gets hit right in the face with the bat. MGF quickly leaves out of the ring, and now he's right next to the guardrails that separates him and the fans. 
and you see a guy in like a costume, since this is AEW's Halloween edition, and the fans are dressed up in costumes, you see a guy standing there like the Invisible Man. He unmasks himself, and it turns out to be Darby Allen. Darby tries to grab MJF, but MJF feels the hands, and he turns around and sees Darby, and he starts sprinting up the entrance ramp, and he's now on the entrance stage, and he's watching his men get beat down by Sting in the ring, and Darby goes under the ring and grabs a skateboard that has thumbtacks glued on the bottom of it. Once Darby gets in the ring, Warlow's in position, and Warlow gets hit right in the back with the skateboard with thumbtacks. Warlow and Sean Spears are now rolled out of the ring. Darby grabs a mic, and he challenges MGF to a match at full gear. MGF mouths the word, you're on. So it seems that to me that we're getting MGF and Darby at full gear. I'm not mad at that. After this, we get a backstage interview with Tony Schiavone interviewing Britt Baker. Tony Schiavone informs Britt that Britt has to face Abaddon on Rampage in a trick-or-treat uh, match. If Abaddon wins, she will get a future AEW Women's Championship match against Britt. And the match on Rampage will be a no-disqualification match. After this, now it's time for the TNT Championship match. Uh, Sammy Guevara putting up the TNT title against Ethan Page. And if Sammy loses, he will also leave the inner circle. Sammy was able to retain his championship whenever he was able to hit a jackknife pin on Page to retain the match. Let me start this out. Sammy Guevara is lightning uh, speed quick because he ran down to the ring and starts beating down on Ethan Page before the match even begins. Then he throws Ethan Page out. He brawls with him on the outside of the ring. He gets back in the ring. He jumps out of the ring and hits a big high fly move on Page. And they do all this within the first couple minutes before the match even begins. And then once Sammy throws Page into the ring, now the match begins and these guys are just going at it. I would put this match in the second close match of the night category for me, for me personally. Um, match of the night to me personally is Bobby Fish and CM Punk, and I'll get to the main event whenever I get to it. But this was a close uh, second match of the night. Uh, as I said before, Sammy does win and retain the TNT Championship after the match. However, Ethan Page attacks Sammy from behind, and Scorpio Sky runs down to help beat down on Sammy Guevara, and Inner Circle comes down literally about ten seconds later. And they scare off Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky up the entrance ramp. Jericho grabs a mic and he mentions how at full gear, now is official, it will be the inner circle going against the men of the year and members of American Top Team. And they announced that next week that the inner circle will pick who from American Top Team they will face off against at full gear. Jericho also announced that it will be a Minneapolis street fight at full gear with both of these teams colliding against one another. See, AEW took my advice. I don't know if somebody in the back thought it was, took the advice or heard what I said or just probably thought this themselves. I said this either a week ago or two weeks ago when Sammy or somebody got jumped by American Top Team or the men of the year, one or the two, and then you get uh, the inner circle running out. I said that it took forever for the inner circle to run out. I remember where people used to run out whenever their guys get beat down so quick that they would just run out within the next 
10 or some odd seconds. It seemed like AEW took that advice and they really made sure, like, all right, Sammy gets beats up for a couple seconds. All right, Inner Circle run out. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. So I'm glad AEW quickly uh, adopted that philosophy right here in this segment. Uh, after this, we get Tony Schiavone in the backstage area again, and now he's interviewing both Brian Danson and Eddie Kingston. Eddie Kingston is ready and focused to face Brian Danson next week, and he just tells Brian, hey, you mentioned last week how you thought I wasn't ready, how you thought that I'm not putting in the work outside of the ring. Next week, you're going to find out. And he turns his back on Brian, and he starts walking away. As this is happen, happening, Brian mentions to Tony that this is the Kingston that he wanted all along. And, but he does let the fans know that at Rampage, he's going to beat Eddie Kingston in advance in this tournament. Now we go to another backstage segment with Tony Giovanni, and he's interviewing with the Lucha Brothers. The main point of this segment is that the Lucha Brothers are challenging FTR to a match at Full Gear for the AEW Tag Team Championships. After this, now it's time for another first-round match in the TBS Championship uh, tournament, and this one is between Serena Deed uh, going against Hikaru Shida. And the winner of this match will go against Nyla Rose in the quarterfinals. Uh, Hikaru Shida wins the match, and she advances on. Uh, when Serena was looking to hit the detox on Shida, Shida was able to counter it into a pinning attempt, and now you get uh, Serena and Shida both trading pin attempts until Shida gets the best of the pinning attempts and beats Serena. So now Shida can now have the accolade of being the first woman in AEW to win 50 matches. So Jungle Boy is the first man to win 50 matches, and Shida is the first woman in AEW to win 50 matches. After the match, Shida was attacked by Serena from behind. Serena is now attacking Shida's left leg after this hard-fought match, and during the match, Shida Sheeta's uh, left leg was the target of Serena throughout that whole left match. Uh, Serena goes outside the ring and grabs a chair, and then she gets inside the ring, and now she's going to town on that left leg. She's bashing that chair into that left leg, and Sheeta is just screaming out in pain. Uh, Serena was able to then lock in the Serenity Lock, formerly known as the Tequila Sunrise, and just hold on to that submission. She is holding on to it, and she's even bashing in uh, Sheeta's knee into the mat as this is happening. The referees are coming down to try to tell Serena to let go. And at one point, Jerry Lynn, who's a producer for AEW, comes out to tell she, uh, Serena to let go of the submission. Serena lets go. And now you get Sheeta still graveling in pain in the mat. So I don't know if this is taking Sheeta out of the tournament altogether or Sheeta is going to be in a completely disadvantaged next uh, match whenever she has to go against Nyla Rose. So we can already like chuck that match up to Nyla Rose if it were up to me. After this, we get a backstage interview with Leo Rush and Dante Morton. Tony informs the fans that Mike Seidel is injured. So the tag team match that was supposed to happen on Rampage between the Seidel brothers and Leo Rush and Dante Martin has been changed. Leo announces that instead of the tag team match, now it will be Dante Martin going against Matt Seidel for the third time, and this time Dante Martin will beat Matt Seidel. Now it's time for another World Championship Eliminator Tournament match, and it's between John Moxley and Dark Order's number 10. Make this thing short and simple, Moxley beats the crap out of Dark Order number 10. Moxley able to 
open up the mask, beat him up, get him bloody, throw him into the ring, and hit the paradigm shift. Dark Order number 10 was able to get some licks off, but Moxley just came in just straight up on Taz mode and Ken Shamrock mode. My man was not for the play play. He came in there just to do work, and Moxley did work. He went in there, he took care of business, so now he advances to face Orange Cassidy in the semifinals. After this, Tony Schiavone's backstage with FTR now. And FTR tells uh, the Lucha Brothers that they accept their challenge. So at Full Gear, we are going to get FTR going against the Lucha Brothers for the AEW Tag Team Championships. Now it's time for Cody's in-ring promo. Cody is out here with Arn Anderson. And Cody talks to the fans. He talks to them like a legit one-on-one conversation here. Cody mentions how... He hit the Tiger Driver 98 last week, and for a brief moment, he thought about hitting a certain move. Whenever he cupped the arms of Malachi Black, he thought of hitting a certain move, a.k.a. the pedigree. And he talked about how he thought, what would happen if I were to hit that move? Would I get up and snarl? Would I get go and win championship matches? What would I break the agreement that I have between me and you, the fans? Cody then decides to just lay it all out. And I got the clip right here for you guys to listen to. And here's Cody just laying his soul out to everybody about why he didn't use that move. Because respectfully, that's too easy. But that is the easy way out. I feel like as a fan, you have your right to do whatever you want. You can cheer. You can boo. But if you're going to boo the narrative, boo the true narrative. Nobody has any problem acknowledging the man who signs the checks. But please don't forget the man who built this bank. Cody is saying all this because he has paid attention to what people have been saying online. He knows that he's beginning to hate. He knows that people are thinking certain things about him. And Cody continues to... Lay it further out on the line right here. Think about it. I grew up in front of you. I debuted at 20 years old. No knee pads, no muscles. I've got a wife that's too hot for me. I've got a brother that if you honestly think about it, bell the bell, he's a Hall of Fame player. Dustin Rhodes is likely better than I am. I got a daughter that I barely deserve, and I have a father that if I lived to be 300 years old, I would not be able to leave behind the cultural legacy that he did. So the easy way out, the easy way out is not the way. I will not turn. Cody is the man for saying all that. Do you hear me? Cody is the absolute man. Now, there's nobody on this planet, and I consider that CM Punk. I consider it John Cena. I consider it a whole lot of guys that whenever it comes down to talking from the pure soul and spirit, Cody is the best on the mic when it comes down to it. People might say, Joe, that is crazy. No, think about it. Cody is letting it all hang out. Cody is letting you know, hey, yo, I have a hot wife that I know that isn't for me. I know that my brother is better than me in the ring. I know that my father, I can never put even fill up my father's shoes in anything, whether it be in-ring, in-backstage, cultural influence. I will never be as great as my father. Cody is saying all this because he knows all this, and people have been saying about this about him. Cody is literally bearing his soul out to the wrestling world and letting people just literally pick apart at his legitimate feelings. That's exactly what Cody is doing. 
And I got to give props to Cody for that. I mean, CM Punk comes directly close to it. Like, literally neck and neck. When Punk did his pipe bomb, my man dropped the bomb on a professional wrestling landscape. And if Cody were to push that limit, I guarantee you Cody would be able to drop a pipe bomb on the professional wrestling world if he was that fed up. Do you not know if Cody would have literally took an opposite turn and he would have really just started laying into the wrestling fans and the wrestling community? How bad that promo would have been? And how, like, really nuclear Cody could really get heated and get hatred if he really wanted to get there. But Cody doesn't feel that way because he's keeping it real. And the reason why he says he's not turning heel, he also says, and I don't got the clip for you, he says, because to truly be honest with you guys, and he says, I know this sounds corny, but I love all of you. I love every bit of you. I love the fans. So Cody is not turning heel. He's been saying this for... Since AEW has started, he said this a couple months ago when people interview him and ask him, is he going to try to turn a little bit? Shoot, I even questioned it myself a couple episodes back whenever I thought, okay, he's third match with Malachi Black. He should be turning heel. She should do some like uh, devilish or dick dastardly type move, but he didn't. And that shocked me. Shoot, I thought he was going for the pedigree, but it turned to a tiger driver. So. Everything that people were thinking about Cody, Cody just let it all out and just ripped it right here in this promo. And Cody did a banger of a job. Um. Anyway, Cody goes to Art Anderson and thanks Art Anderson for being around him, being his coach and all this good stuff. And then out of nowhere comes Andrade El Idolo and his handler. Andrade talks about how Cody is pandering to the people and he talks about the Differences between Andrade and Cody. Andrade doesn't care about the people. And he talks about how Cody keeps on making stupid choices one after the other. He says the first one was whenever you got that stupid tattoo in your neck. And the second one was whenever you got into my business. He's referring to uh, last week on Rampage. No, yeah, last week on Rampage whenever he came out to beat up on Malachi Black when Malachi came there to assist Andrade in beating up on Pac and Andrade and Pac's match on Rampage. Andrade gets in the ring and he says that he can make Cody his little B. And then the lights go out yet again in this AEW Dynamite show. And when they turn back on, Malachi Black is standing right next to Andrade. And Malachi sprays mist right into Cody's face. And now you got Andrade and Malachi jumping on Cody. And now as they're both of these men are beating down on Cody, outruns Pac from the backstage area. And he runs down the entrance ramp and he goes directly at Andrade. He starts beating up on Andrade, throw him outside of the ring. He's about to run and hit a high-flying maneuver, but Andrade starts walking up the ramp. And right next to him is Malachi Black. So... Pac does a backflip that we don't see because the camera is cut to Malachi and Andrade, but then when we cut right back, we see Andrade, not Andrade, but Pac sitting in the ring, crisscross applesauce, sticking up the double bird salute to Andrade and Malachi. So it seems to me that Pac has now formed a uh, alliance with Cody until Malachi is... Done with Andrade for right now. So we're more than likely going to get a Malachi and Andrade uh, tag match against Pac and Cody. That's somewhere down the line. But it was announced that 
on Dynamite next week, it would be Cody going against Andrade. So we're not that far along from Malachi and Andrade going against Cody and Pac. And more than likely, we'll probably get that match at full year. Now it's time for the main event of AEW Dynamite. It is the eight-man tag team match between Dark Order's own Stu Grayson, John Silver, Cole Cabana, and Evil Uno going against the Super Elites, Young Bucks, Adam Cole, and the AEW World Champion, Kenny Omega. Let me state this. This is Halloween uh, edition of AEW Dynamite, so you know uh, these guys came out in Halloween costumes. Stu Grayson came out as Kratos. John Silver came out uh, with a hoodie that was a reindeer hoodie. Cole Cabana came out dressing like Brandon Cutler. And Evil Uno came out dressing up like a cowboy. While the Super Elite, they came out dressed up like the Ghostbusters. They had the whole Proton uh, pack, backpack. They even had Michael Nakazawa come out dressing up as a big baby for the Adam Cole baby bit whenever it's time for Adam Cole to do his whole baby. And they even had the state puff marshmallow man right next to Michael Nakazawa out there as this match is happening. Um, The Dark Order wins this match by pinfall. The Dark Order wins the match when Matt Jackson accidentally super kicks the referee. So now the referee is knocked out. The Super Elite then all hits low blows on all members of the Dark Order. And then the Super Elite then get their proton packs and put them on and they all run together and ram them into the Dark Order. They then put their uh, the proton packs in the middle of the ring and they pick up Cabana for a powerbomb and powerbomb on top of the proton packs. Then you see a guy dressed up in a horse like outfit, but they only had the horse head come running down the ring and start getting into the ring. And they're trying to, he's trying to say something to him, but the Young Bucks are in Kenny and Adam don't understand it. And now you got Alex Reynolds and Alan Angels of the Dark Order trying to come down to the ring to get the man. But the Young Bucks super kick Reynolds and Angels. So now you have the man still waving his hands at the Young Bucks and the Super Elite. And they decide, you know what? We can't deal with this. Matt Jackson kicks the horseman right in the nuts. And then the Super Elite hit a four-way BTE trigger on the horseman. Uh, then you get them pull the horse head off the man. And it's Brandon Color with duct tape on his mouth. So now you got Kenny and Adam Cole and Nick Jackson. They get pulled out of the ring by the Dark Order. And then the Stay Puff Marshmallow mascot gets in the ring and he takes his head off and underneath the head is Hangman Adam Page. Hangman clotheslines Matt Jackson and then Omega gets in the ring and he tries to hit a V-trigger on Hangman, but Hangman moves out of the way and then he grabs Omega up for the dead eye and hits him with the dead eye. Hangman starts getting that freaking costume off. He tells John Silver to finish Matt Jackson off. So Silver then gets Matt up on his shoulders and hit a spin doctor on Matt to win the match. After the match, Hangman celebrates with the Dark Order in the ring as the Super Elite gather themselves and start walking up the ramp. And they're just trying to figure out how all this crap happens. So we're going to get more details down the line on the next episode of Dynamite. And um, I can't wait for that because, again, this is still setting up for 
Kenny Omega to go against Adam Page at Full Gear for the AEW World Championship. But in the end, this was your AEW Dynamite's uh, results. Now it's time for Bound for Glory. Well, Impact Wrestling. Bound for Glory happened in... Let me just give you the results of this. The Inspiration beat Rosemary and Havoc to become the new Knockouts Tag Team Champions. Trey Miguel beat El Fantasmo and Steve Maglin to win the X Division Championship. Heath Slater and Rhino beat Violence by Design. Moose did win the Call Your Shot Gauntlet, so now he gets a championship opportunity at any time he feels like it. The Good Brothers retained their Impact Wrestling Tag Team Championships when they defeated both teams of Finn Juice and Bullet Club's own Chris Bay and Hikaleo. Mickey James defeated Deanna Perrazzo to become the new Knockouts Champion. And Josh Alexander, in the main event, beat Christian Cage to become the new Impact World Champion. Well, until Moose came out and Moose cashed in his Call Your Shot Gauntlet uh, award and he speared Josh Alexander as his wife and child were in the ring and he pinned Josh and now Moose is your new Impact World Champion. I was 6-1 in, in this pay-per-view. The only match that I did not call right was the Impact Tag Team Championship match. And um, it was a good time to know that I'm just on the right track on picking out who's the right people to progress a storyline. So I at least know that, okay, I'm at least good at this. Now it's time for your Impact results. Impact starts off with Moose in-ring promo. Moose was about to say something, but Eddie Edwards comes out and he starts attacking and fighting Moose. They're fighting inside the ring and then they get outside the ring and now they're fighting up the ramp. Security comes out to separate these men and Eddie Edwards is taken to the back as Moose decides to get back in the ring to grab the microphone and talk. Moose talks about how he did a lot of horrible things to get to this point and win this championship. Moose mentions how he tried to break the neck of a person that he wants called friend, meaning Eddie Edwards. And the most despicable thing he has done to this point was whenever he beat Josh Alexander to become the new Impact World Champion in front of his wife and child. Moose then decided to send some subliminal shots to Roman Reigns, Becky Lynch, Sasha Banks, Charlotte Flair, and The New Day. And he says that he is the greatest world champion in professional wrestling going right now. I didn't include the subliminal shots just to let you know because Moose is a terrible in-ring uh, promo and um, he needs to have a manager with him and those shots were too slow. So that's the reason why I didn't include him in this, just to let you know that. Moose then decides to issue an open challenge to anybody in the back. And as he's issuing this challenge, Josh Alexander slides in the ring behind Moose and gives him a German suplex. Josh then decides to beat down on Moose and... He does this until Moose slides out of the ring and decides to go into the audience. Once this is happening and Josh is looking at Moose, music is starting to play and Josh head focuses over to the entrance and it's Minoru Suzuki's music. Suzuki starts walking down to the ring and once he gets inside the ring, him and Alexander are now having a face-off. Josh gets tired of this face-off. He turns his back on Suzuki and looks back at Moose and now Josh Alexander's mouthing off to Moose. Suzuki grabs the arm of Alexander and turns him around. And now you get Josh Alexander and Suzuki start fighting one another. 
And this continues to happen until security runs into the ring and separate them two. So that happens. Now we get a backstage interview with Moose. Moose mentions how he has a target on his back, but if there's anybody on Impact Wrestling that can handle that type of pressure, it's him. And Moose was about to walk away, but Matt Cardona walks up to him and congratulates him on becoming the new Impact World Champion. Cardona mentions how he almost hit Moose with the radio silence and won the Call Your Shot Gauntlet match. Moose tells him that almost doesn't win you the match. And then Moose tries to walk away from Cardona again, but Cardona pulls Moose back and Moose punches Cardona in the face. And now you have a fight between these two and security runs out to break it up between these two. Now it's time for the first match of the night and it's for the X Division Championship. It is Trey Miguel defending it against Rocky Romero. And Trey Miguel beats Rocky to retain the X Division Championship by pinfall. Trey was able to do this whenever he hit the Brain Buster on Rocky. Then he went to the top turnbuckle and hit a Meteora, Meteora on Rocky to win the match. After the match, Trey Miguel was posing on the turnbuckle and Trey was attacked from behind by Steve Macklin. Steve Macklin put Trey in the trio woe and then hits a running spear to the body of Trey Miguel. Steve Macklin lets Trey know that he wasn't the one that got pinned at Bound for Glory. Trey Miguel pinned El Fantasma to win the Exhibition Championship at Bound for Glory. So Steve Macklin's on the hunt for Trey's Exhibition Championship match. This was a solid match to open up Impact Wrestling. I suggest you check it out. Uh, the next match after this was Rachel Ellering with Jordan Grace going against Tasha Steeles with Savannah Evans. Rachel Ellering wins the match by pinfall. When Tasha Steeles was looking to hit a cutter on Rachel Ellering, Rachel was able to counter that and turn it into a backslide pin to win the match. I forgot to mention how there were, after the X Division match, there was a backstage segment with Scott Demore. Scott Demore ultimately announced that next week on Impact Wrestling, it will be a six-man tag team match where Josh Alexander will team up with Eddie Edwards and Matt Cardona to go against Moose and two partners of his choosing. And now we get to this point where W. Morrissey is backstage and he's talking about how whenever he first got into Impact Wrestling, he kept saying that there are no friends in professional wrestling. And he talks about him forming an alliance with Moose and Moose kind of dissolving that alliance at Bound for Glory whenever he chucked Morrissey out of the ring in the Collier Gauntlet match. Morrissey said he's fine with that because Moose now has the world championship and he wants it. Moose walks up to Morrissey and tells him, hey man, I play fair in our agreement. I told you I was going to throw you out of that ring if I had the opportunity. And let's be honest, I screwed you before you screwed me. He ends up telling Morrissey, hey, I told you what I was going to do, so you know I'm a man of my word. And so here's what I propose to you. How about you help me take out Alexander, Cardona, and Edwards. And if you do that, you'll be the first person to get a title shot. Morrissey tells Moose that he'll see them out, he'll see him out there. So Morrissey is teamed up with Moose. So now Moose has to find one more person to finish his team. Now we go to a backstage, well, a locker room interview with the inspiration that you knew knockouts tag team champions. The main point of this interview was that the inspiration are here to give back to the knockouts division. They're here to build up that division. They talk about being worldwide stars 
Australia legends, and inspirations. Now it's time for another one-on-one match. It's Joe Doring with Violence by Design in his corner going against Heath with Rhino in his corner. The match ends in a no contest with Rhino and Diener are fighting on the outside of the ring and they start brawling to the point that they roll into the ring and now they're fighting in one corner and the referee can't get both of the men out of the ring so he decides to call the match and ring for the bell so it ends in a no contest. Now you get Heath and Joe Doring fighting in one corner and you got Rhino and Diener fighting in another corner. Heath and Doring are now fighting on the outside of the ring and now you got Rhino beating down on Diener to the point that Eric Young tries to sneak into the ring, but Rhino turns around and catches Eric Young and challenges Eric to get into the ring. Eric reminds Rhino that he's injured. He starts patting at his leg. Remember, I'm injured. I'm injured. So Rhino is still keeping his eye on Eric Young, but Diener comes around and attacks Rhino. So now Rhino goes back to fighting Diener until Eric Young runs in and attacks Rhino from behind. Eric Young was manipulating Rhino the whole time. Eric Young is 100% healed up, and Eric Young was able to deliver a elbow drop off the top turnbuckle onto Rhino. He then tells Joe Doring to throw Heath Slater back into the ring so he can hit a pile driver on Heath. And now you got Violence by Design, all three members at full capacity, and they're all uh, ring ready. And now we're just going to get the best Violence by Design uh, complete maniacs that we can have because Eric Young is a great professional wrestler, but boy, is he a great maniac that can actually wrestle. So I can't wait to see what type of damage they can do at full capacity. We get a backstage promo from the Good Brothers. The Good Brothers are here gloating about retaining their Impact Wrestling Tag Team Championships at Battle for Glory. Finjuice interrupts them and mentions how they weren't pinned in the match. Chris Bay was pinned, so Finjuice technically didn't lose. Um, they remind the Good Brothers also that whenever they first got into Impact Wrestling, they took the Impact Tag Titles off of the Good Brothers and how the Good Brothers have technically never beaten Finjuice to win back the Nagao's championships. Carl Anderson informs Finjuice that to be contenders for the Impact Tag Team Championships, you have to earn it. So now we're more likely going to be on a retribution or a redemption story for Finjuice here. Now we get to another in-ring promo, but this time it's from the new Knockouts champion, Mickey James. Mickey James mentioned how she's still on cloud nine from winning the Knockouts Championship at Bound for Glory from Deanna Perrazzo. She even gives Deanna some credit for giving her the best match of her career, so she thanks Deanna for that. Mickey James ultimately says that she's here to be a fighting champion, and she throws out the challenge to anybody. Out comes Madison Rain and Kayla with the kick. Madison's out here, and she starts throwing shots at Mickey James. She talks about how people talk about the Knockouts division. They talk about the pillars of that division. They always mention Gail Kim, Awesome Kong, and Mickey James, and how they somehow forget Madison Rain's name out of that pillar. Madison says she's cool with that, but she wants a match with Mickey James next week for the Knockouts Championship. Mickey ultimately agrees to the match, so now we're going to get the Knockouts uh, tag match next week. Well, Knockouts one-on-one uh, -on -one match between Mickey and Madison next week. We now go to a bad stage segment, and it's Moose and W. Morrissey looking for a partner to complete their three-man 
team for next week's match. They walk up to Minoru Suzuki sitting in the chair. Moose mentions to Suzuki that he knows that Suzuki is a violent man, and Moose likes it. So Moose asks Suzuki to be a part of their team. Suzuki looks at them in his chair. He gets up, and now he's just staring both of them down. Moose tells Suzuki to relax, and Moose just says, Josh Alexander. Suzuki smiles, and he pulls his fist out, and he fist bumps both Moose and Morrissey. So now it is official. Next week on Impact Wrestling, it will be Josh Alexander teaming up with Eddie Edwards and Matt Cardona to go against Minoru Suzuki, W. Morrissey, and the new Impact World Champion, Moose. Now it's time for the main event of Impact Wrestling. It's Chris Saban going against Ace Austin with Madman Fulton in his corner. Ace Austin was able to win the match by pinfall thanks to Madman Fulton. Once the referee was distracted by Ace Austin saying something about his nose, Fulton was able to grab Chris Saban's arms and yank him into the ropes, which makes Chris Saban's neck hit the ropes. So now you got Saban holding on to his neck. Ace Austin then moves the referee out of the way, and he runs over and hits the fold on Chris Saban to beat him by pinfall. This was a solid main event match. I mean, Impact Wrestling was a solid episode this week. I have no complaints. I just wish that we would have got that six-man match this week instead of next week. But hey, it just gives you more juice and more things to look forward to on the next episode of Impact Wrestling. Now it's time for SmackDown. SmackDown opens up with an in-ring promo from the SmackDown Women's Champion, Charlotte Flair. Charlotte basically is out here to gloat about how she's the new SmackDown Women's Champion, even though that her and Becky had that messy of a title exchange last SmackDown last week. And she kind of even mentioned how messy that was, but she bypassed that. And she talks about the women in the SmackDown division needing someone to guide them into the future. And that person is going to be Charlotte Flair. Charlotte's then interrupted by Sasha Banks. Sasha mentioned that Charlotte doesn't care about the women in the back. She's only here to hold them down. Sasha then asks Charlotte wins her championship match. So Charlotte then takes exception to this and says that Sasha has been getting mad opportunities from her. And Charlotte knew this type of thing would happen, so she talked to Sonya Deville earlier today and decided to give somebody a uh, somebody new a shot at the opportunity. And as soon as she says this, Shasi Blackheart comes out in her toy tank. And Shasi basically challenges Charlotte to a championship contenders match. And Charlotte agrees to this, so now this is where we are. Uh, Charlotte Flair going against Shasi Blackheart in a championship contenders match, meaning that if Shasi wins, she gets a future championship match against Charlotte for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Also, the note, Sasha Banks was at ringside during this whole match, and Sasha was cheering for Shotzi this whole time. So it looks like Sasha's back to being a babyface after coming back, what, a month ago and beating up on Bianca Belair. So it looks like Sasha's back to being a good guy. Now, Charlotte wins the match by pinfall when Charlotte was trying to lock in the figure eight, but Shotzi pushes Charlotte into the ropes where Sasha is standing. Charlotte stops, and now she is staring eye to eye with Sasha as Sasha's trying to get on the ring apron. And once Sasha gets on the ring apron, Shotzi runs towards Charlotte, but Charlotte moves out of the way, and Shotzi's about to hit Sasha, but Shotzi stops in her track. This gives Charlotte enough time to hit Shotzi inside of the face with a forearm, and Shotzi drops to her knees, and then Charlotte was able to hit her with a natural selection, 
and Charlotte wins by that. After the match, Sasha gets in the ring, and she goes over to check on Shotzi Blackheart. She even helps Shotzi get to her feet. But once Shotzi gets uh, Blackheart to her feet, Blackheart pushes Sasha to the mat and yells at her and screams at her, saying that you cost me this match. You cost me. And now you get Sasha and Blackheart just straight up just yelling, and not even yelling, but just arguing with one another. Charlotte sees this as a perfect opportunity. Charlotte's about to run herself back into the ring, but Sasha was able to see this, and Sasha turns around to stare eye to eye with Charlotte as Charlotte's still on the outside of the ring. This gives Shotzi enough time to run behind uh, Sasha Banks and hit her with a clothesline. Now you got Blackheart beating up on Banks. So Blackheart is beating up on Banks. She throws her into the turnbuckles and then runs over and hits her with a big boot. Then does it again. Throws her outside the ring. Throws her into some steel steps. Throws her into her toy tank. Even throwing Sasha's body into the hubcap, which is basically the uh, paper mache of a skull. But when you hear Sasha's body hits the skull, it sounded pretty hard. And then ultimately, uh, Blackheart throws Sasha back into the ring. And then goes to the top turnbuckle and hits the ball pit onto Sasha Banks, which is basically a senton bomb. And it seems that they just turned Blackheart, Shotzi Blackheart, into a heel. I'm cool with that. Her attire, I mean, like, mad tattoos and all this type of stuff, it screams heel to me. But that's, like, old-school heel, so we'll just see how, see how they do with this. But this match was all right. It wasn't, like, yay! It was it was all right. Um, after this, we get a backstage promo, well, backstage interview from Jeff Hardy. He's happy to be back on SmackDown. He fa- he hopes to face people that he hasn't faced before and maybe even hold some championships that he hasn't before. The only championship that he hasn't hold is a universal title on the SmackDown brand, well, and technically the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. So it's going to be interesting to see how they go with Jeff Hardy with this. Um, his interview gets interrupted by Happy Corbin and Madcap Moss. They mention how they have a tag team match against Nakamura and Rick Boogs in a trick-or-street fight match later tonight. Madcap tells a corny joke to Corbin, and those two start laughing away. Jeff Hardy then just concludes his interview by saying, yeah, I'm glad to be back on SmackDown. After this, we get a video playing of Adam Pearce in his office, and he's talking about what Brock Lesnar did last week. He talks about how he had to suspend Brock Lesnar last week and because Brock Lesnar tore up property and beat up on officials and that's not uh that's not sanctionable that's not of WWE regulations and policy so and also Brock put his hands on Adam Pierce so Adam Pierce also decided to find Brock Lesnar one million dollars as this video is playing we see Paul Heyman staring at a television screen and just watching as all this is happening. He has a little smirk on his face. Once this video announcement is done playing, we see Caleb Braxton walk up to Paul and ask Paul how will Brock respond to this. And here's Paul's answer to that. Amazing, you're still employed. Your timing, as always, is impeccable, Ms. Braxton. I know how the tribal chief, Roman Reigns, would respond to this. Roman Reigns, suspension or not, would show up on SmackDown, would smash everyone in sight, including and especially Brock Lesnar. But Roman Reigns doesn't have to do that. 
because Roman Reigns smashed Brock Lesnar at Crown Jewel. As you can see for that, Paul is a great line dancer. My man stepped away from that question like a great linesman. But see, here's the deal with this. Kayla then decides to press that issue again to Paul and asks him, okay, I didn't ask about Roman. What would Brock do? And Paul just looks at her and asks, what would Brock do? And then Kayla just told him point blank, hey, yo, listen, you've been around Brock a long time. You were his advocate once. So the only way to get inside Brock's mind is from you, Paul. So I'm going to ask you again, what would Brock do? So Paul finally has enough, and he just blurts this out. Brock Lesnar would respond by showing up at the office and ripping out everybody's throat, especially and starting with Adam Pierce. Pierce. What an annoying name for an annoying man. Can you imagine the audacity, the temerity of Adam Pierce to stand in the middle of the ring and talk about Brock Lesnar like Brock Lesnar wasn't even in the arena, like he's not Brock Lesnar, like he's not going to come out and be a beast? Brock Lesnar, like Brock Lesnar. At least that's how I think Brock Lesnar responds. Now I want to ask you guys, does that sound like somebody that hasn't been in contact with Brock Lesnar? Does that sound like somebody that hasn't been in contact with at least one of their greatest clients of all time? Hmm? No, that sounds like somebody that is literally on the defense, that has had enough, and that wants to see their client get what's best and just do for to them. So, Paul has been in contact with Brock. That just basically just showed his hand and showed his card right there. After he said all this, he starts telling Kayla, that he's, you know what, leave me alone. And he just walks away. And I know Paul knows that Roman is somewhere home watching this. Roman had to see this because if he didn't see it, guess what? He's going to get told by what Brom, what Paul said. And it's going to be funny how next week's episode of SmackDown is going to be. Because if they don't mention Roman Reigns seeing that, we're going to have a problem because you're going to play your old audience like we're dumb. But we'll just have to see about that. Um, after this, we go to the in-ring competition now, and it's Drew McIntyre. He comes out here, and he issues an open challenge to anybody that's willing to step up. And Mustafa Ali answers the challenge, and he uh, goes against Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre makes Ali tap out. I mean, this was a nice little quick match for them. I mean, it was a nice little fun little match for Ali to showcase who he can, what he can do and everything else, but we all know what this is about. This is another... Uh, thing just for Drew to get another win column on his whole little rap sheet. So whenever he does challenge uh, Roman for the Universal title, he at least can say, Ayo, I racked up so many wins. But anyway, uh, Drew was able to counter Mustafa's Ali's uh, DDT and turn it into a Kimura lock. And as he's cranking the Kimura lock in, Ali just taps quickly. He starts tapping the shoulders of Drew. Referee sees it, calls for the bell. After the match, as Drew's walking up the ramp, Ali grabs the microphone, and he just says that he has something to get off of his chest. He starts ridiculing the audience. He says that he knows why the audience chooses to true, to cheer somebody like Drew and boo him. And he says, the reason why you people boo me is because of my name, Mustafa Ali. So we're going to go basically, we're heading back to the whole Middle Eastern deal. We're going to... This is exactly where we're at. It. And I'm not saying that it that is not real, because as we all know in this real world, that type of stuff 
still plays a big part in in Middle Eastern people's uh, way of life. Just by their name, people will already assume you to be evil just off your name because of the 9-11 thing. And this is exactly where we're going to go with the Mustafa Ali uh, story that they're trying to tell. And personally, I can't wait to see it. I'm hoping, and this is just me hoping, that they're able to bring back um, Muhammad Hassan for this story. Especially whatever they do, probably vignettes of Mustafa Ali talking to somebody. And people just won't know who it is, but the real wrestling uh, like lovers that have been watching it in the 2000s, like 2005 era, when Muhammad Hassan came on to the WWE roster, on the main roster, I'm hoping that they'll bring him back for this. I really do. Because, also sidebar this, Muhammad Hassan got a bad deal. His career got ended, and I mean real cut short, because of the whole uh, terrorist attack in Paris whenever his storyline was going on with him going against The Undertaker. So WWE was kind of forced to kill the character. So once the character got killed, the wrestler, the man behind the character, was never ever uh, in WWE again. As a matter of fact, he got released. I'm not sure how long ago for that. Whenever his character got killed off, but it wasn't that far off, and we have never seen him on television again. And if we're going with this Mustafa Ali thing, and Tim going to really like educate the crowd, I'm hoping that we get. Muhammad Hassan, at least for this, with uh, Ali. Anyway, sorry for the dog diatribe. After this, we go backstage now, and it's King Woods and Kofi Kingston walking backstage, and Kofi is telling everybody, he's shouting from the rooftops, that they should be standing to their feet and showing King Woods respect, bowing down to King Woods. And as King Woods and Xavier, oh, King Woods and Kofi are walking backstage, they bump into Hit Row. Woods gives praise to Hit Row for making their debut last week and doing, and this is King Woods' own words, the damn thing. Hit Row mentions that they're happy to be rubbing shoulders with royalty, and they start bowing down to King Woods, saying that we're not worthy. We're not worthy. It's good to see two black teams, especially with one of the Regal and dynasty that the New Day have, giving it up to a new upcoming stable, black unit stable, like the Hit Row, to kind of give them more credibility, and uh, I'm hoping that somewhere down the line we get New Day going against Hit Row, because that just would further elevate Hit Row more up, but for now, I'm cool with this segment. After this, we get King Woods and Kofi Kingston coming down to the ring, because it's now time for the uh, knighting of Kofi Kingston. King Woods mentions how Kofi did him the honor of bestowing him as king last week. So now he is here to return the favor and uh, knight Kofi with the highest honor with the title of Sir Kofi Kingston, the hand of the king. Kofi is elated. He's just smiling to be getting his title. And Woods goes over and grabs a golden unicorn pendant and pin it onto Kofi's uh, ring jacket, and now you get Kofi and Wood just nodding and approval at one another, and now this whole commencement celebration has been interrupted now by the SmackDown Tag Team Champions, the Usos. The Usos come out here, and they mention how SmackDown is their show. As a matter of fact, they should just rename it to the Bloodline Show. 
and they ask and they question what are Kofi and Woods doing out here. Kofi mentions how the Usos are jealous of them, saying how the New Day has fresh gear and how um, the Usos still dress like they're in 2018. They get back and forth, some squabble jabs back and forth here and there. Woods tell everybody to silence, and he throws down the challenge for a match later on tonight between the Usos and the New Day. The Usos accept, and so we will get our match in the main event. After this, now it's time for the Tricker Street Fight match between the Intercontinental Champion Shinsuke Nakamura and Rick Boogs going against Happy Corbin and uh, Mad Cat Moss. Uh, this match had hollowed out pumpkins surrounding the ring. They had a table that had a bucket full of water and apples like you're bobbing for apples. And even in the middle of the match, Mad Cat Moss got his head shoved into the water and he was bobbing for apples by Rick Boogs and Shinsuke Nakamura. Madcap Moss and Happy Corbin win the match by pinfall. This happened when Rick Boogs was on the top turnbuckle and he was hit from behind by two dudes in Scarecrow outfits and they were carrying kendo sticks. So they hit Rick Boogs with the kendo sticks. This allowed Madcap Moss to go over and grab Boogs and hit him with a neck breaker on one of the pumpkins and pin him to win the match. After the match was over, the men unmasked themselves, and they were Humberto Carrillo and Angel Garza. So this is going to show you that Angel Garza and Humberto are going to have some feuding with Shinsuke Nakamura and Rick Boogs. After this, we go to a backstage interview with Sonya Deville. She gets asked if she is punishing Naomi because she has to face Shayna Baszler later tonight. Shayna says she isn't punishing Naomi, and she wouldn't dare abuse her power. And as soon as she said that, Sami Zayn walks up to her and interrupts her and say, listen, it's a shame that you don't have Sami Zayn, myself, on this show, especially with Survivor Series coming around the corner. And as soon as Sami Zayn is about to talk some more, they cut that segment off and they go right over to Naomi's entrance. And now Naomi's out here for her match against Shayna Baszler. Shayna Baszler and Naomi's in the middle of the ring and they're just waiting for a referee. And there's no referee coming out right now. Sonya Deville comes out with a microphone and she says that she has to apologize because the referee that was supposed to officiate this match happened to got an attack last week by Brock Lesnar and is injured right now. So Sonya Deville says that there's only one logical choice that has to happen. I'm going to be the special guest referee for this. And you know what's about to happen. Naomi gets screwed big time royally. Uh, Shayna Baszler beats Naomi by fast count because once Naomi pins Shayna Baszler, Sonya Deville doesn't count it, not even at all. But once Shayna was able to kind of get out of it and get Naomi in her own pin, she quickly counts it off. One, two, three. And rings for the bell. After the match, Naomi gets in Sonya Deville's face and questions her. And you get Sonya and Naomi just jaw jacking one another. And Shayna Baszler gets up, puts Naomi in the Kokita Clutch. And Naomi goes to sleep as Sonya Deville walks out of the ring. I don't like this. I hope whenever they finally get down to brass tacks with Naomi going against Sonya Deville, Naomi beats Sonya Deville up big time. Also, I don't like how uh, Shayna Baszler is being portrayed in this as well. I understand Shayna Baszler is supposed to be the uh, mercenary, but she hasn't been mercenary like in a big time level for her to like cachet to hang around, be the right hand person of Sonya Deville. We're going to be honest here. 
I don't see it. But I'm hoping this is basically just in the re, uh, building phase for somebody like Shayna Baszler because she had a lot of potential whenever she got on to NXT. And then as soon as she gets to the main roster, drop hot like a fly. I mean, no push, no nothing, at least in my personal opinion. And I guarantee there's a lot of people out here that was going to say the exact same thing. After this, we go to the gorilla position, and there's the New Day. They are asked if King Woods is worried about his reign already being challenged. King Woods mentioned that he isn't worried about this because he did the exact same thing uh, whenever he was hunting to become the king of the ring. Kofi mentions how he is now the hand of the king. That means nothing's going to happen to the king because he's here. Just like Kofi, no, just like Woods was. Uh, standing by the side of Kofi whenever he was champion, Kofi is now here to do uh payback favors for Xavier Woods, and also because that's his brother, he's cool with doing this. Uh, now they go off to their entrance, they go off to the ring, and now they're setting up for the main event. Uh, the Usos going against the New Day, but before that happens, we go backstage and we see Naomi walking backstage, and she happens to be stopped by an interviewer. The main point of this is that Naomi says that once Sonya Deville decides to put that corporate position away, Naomi will be waiting for her. Naomi also makes another challenge to Shayna, saying that if Shayna decides to step up, the only thing she's going to see is the, uh, Naomi's rear view and then some. So basically, Naomi's ready for a fair fight with Shayna Baszler whenever that time comes around. Now it's time for the main event of SmackDown. The tag team match between the New Day and the SmackDown Tag Team Champions, the Usos. The New Day wins the match by pinfall. This happens when Xavier Woods and Jay Uso are fighting on the outside of the ring, and Kofi and Jimmy are fighting on the inside of the ring, and Kofi and Jimmy are the legal men of the match. Woods having to take care of Jay outside of the ring, and now Kofi is trying to uh, rest on his uh, right next to his team's turnbuckle. As this is happening, Woods gets on the steps and quickly, like, tags himself in. But Jimmy doesn't know this. So Kofi runs towards Jimmy. But Jimmy hits Kofi with a super kick. And Jimmy also decides to cover Jimmy, uh, Kofi Kingston. The referee lets Jimmy know that, hey, Kofi is an illegal man. And Woods quickly goes into the ring, grabs Jimmy, roll him up for the win. And that's how the New Day win. This was a great tag team match. I would suggest you watch SmackDown, if not for anything, for the New Day uh, segments. I'm telling you, yet again, SmackDown and tag team wrestling in WWE is great whenever WWE wants to give tag team wrestling great amount of time to do what they have to do. Because, again, with two credible tag teams like the Usos and the New Day, you're always uh, certified to at least get a awesome to nearly perfect tag team match. And to me personally, this was a great match. Now it's time for AEW Rampage. Rampage opens up with a World Championship Eliminated Tournament uh, semifinals match between Brian Danielson and Eddie Kingston. And Brian Danielson wins the match by referee stoppage. Brian had Eddie in the triangle choke, and Eddie wasn't giving out. And Eddie's last-ditch effort, he ends up sticking the bird up at Brian. And Brian just starts getting upset, and he just starts elbowing Eddie right in the head as he's holding on to that triangle choke. And as you can still see the bird being flipped off to Brian, you start seeing some of the motion of his fingers start getting 
dropping down the hand, and you start seeing Eddie become lifeless. So the referee sees this, he calls for the bell, and that's how the match ends. Brian wins by referee stoppage. After the match, Brian extends his hands out to Eddie Kingston, but Eddie walks away. This was a hard-hitting, great match, and I'm telling you right now, something about Brian Danielson leaving WWE, and it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. You know, I'm not even going to crap on WWE because you know what? Brian Danielson in WWE as Daniel Bryan, he had a whole lot of great matches with a whole lot of people, so I'm not going to curse WWE for that. But there is a difference between an AEW match and a WWE match. WWE, you cannot get like a bloodied chest because somebody's keeping on hitting you in the exact same spot with a chop or overhand chop or some kind of mess like that. They don't want to see that. While independent wrestling and AEW wrestling, we have no problem seeing that. And that's what Brian Danielson got in this match. He had his whole uh, right peck just straight up get, like, brutalized and, like, busted open on the inside. You start seeing the blood vessels on the inside of his chest, like, straight up just, like, red, red, hard red. So, Brian Danielson loves to do that. I don't know why, but I just think he gets a nice uh, adrenaline rush from this, so. Um, anyway, Brian Danielson does win the match, and he advances to the finals, and right now he's waiting on the match between John Moxley and Orange Cassidy that will happen on the next episode of Dynamite. I'm calling it now. John Moxley's going to beat Orange Cassidy, but Orange Cassidy's going to give him a fight. He isn't going to, like, win, like, like quick, quick. But Orange Cassidy is going to give John Moxley a uh, fight, but John Moxley is going to win, and in the finals, at full gear, we're going to get Brian Danielson going against... John Moxley. After this, we go backstage and Tony Giovanni's with CM Punk. Punk mentions how he's happy to be on the Halloween edition of Rampage and to be back in Boston. And he hasn't been in Boston in some time. And as he is saying all these things, you hear a voice start shouting in the back, and you can easily detect whose voice that is. That's Eddie Kingston's voice. Eddie is shouting and asking, Why did the ref call for the bell? I didn't tap out. And he continued to just like shout. And he starts walking up on Punk and he asked Punk why was he laughing. He didn't Punk wasn't laughing at all. He was just watching all this crap unfold. And Eddie just tells Punk, I know who you are. I know you. And then he shoves the mic out of Tony Schiavone's face. Well, out of his face. And now you get Punk and Kingston just straight up just uh jawjacking with one another. And you can see Kingston wants to throw blows with Punk. But officials and certain wrestlers start to separate the two. And Punk just starts yelling. Punk yells out, you want to go to sleep again? I saw you go to sleep. You want to go to sleep again? So we're going to get a match between Punk and Kingston somewhere down the line. I can't wait to see that because these are two guys I personally enjoy. Kingston with his hard-hitting uh, hits and CM Punk, well, even though in his aging now and he hasn't been in the ring so long, him still putting on great matches with the foes that he is winning it so far in AEW. I can't wait to see Punk versus Kingston. After this, we get Dante Martin with Leo Rush in his corner going against Matt Seidel in their third match against each other. And Matt Seidel lost this match to Dante Martin by pinfall when Dante was able to hit his double springboard moonsault and connect onto Matt Seidel and pin him for the win. This was a great match. It's two high flyers that do high flying things. Yes, Matt Seidel is not much of a high flyer anymore because he's able to uh, be ground game. Like, his ground game is good, but 
Let's not get twisted. Whenever he can want to get on the top rope and fly, he'll fly. And I can't say nothing more about Dante Martin. Dante Martin's the same thing. He doesn't have much of a mad game, but boy, if you have him flying in the air, doing the springboard, jumping up the turnbuckle, all these type of things that require air, Dante Martin's your guy. So Dante wins the match and now it's two and one. Still, Matt Seidel leading the charge. After this, now it's time for the main event of AEW Rampage. It is a trick or treat no DQ match between Dante Britt Baker and Abaddon. Dr. Britt Baker came out with both Jamie Hayter and Rebel. Britt Baker wins the match by pinfall. This match had thumbtacks, steel chairs, and an unbreakable table. You heard me right, an unbreakable table. Because when Abaddon and Britt Baker were on the ring apron, and the uh, Britt Baker was able to connect with a swinging neckbreaker off the ring apron and try to land on like through the table, the table didn't break. As a matter of fact, that move hit the table and then they slide off the table. So the table didn't break. Jamie Hayter and Brits and Rebel see this. So Rebel has Jamie and Rebel hold the table as Brit gets up and tries to suplex Abaddon through the table. Still again, she was able to suplex her on the table, but not snap it. So they had to get rid of that idea. So now it's left to Brit and Abaddon in the ring. And before this comes to pass, Abaddon had a, uh, Abaddon went underneath the ring to grab a bag of, a black bag. And inside the black bag was thumbtacks. She poured onto the mat. And now you get Abaddon trying to put Brit into the thumbtacks and Brit trying to put Abaddon into the thumbtacks. This doesn't work. It leads to a stare down between Brit and Abaddon. They both yell at each other. Brit runs towards Abaddon. Abaddon catches her and hits a rock bottom onto the thumbtacks. Britt is yelling in pain, but Abaddon tries to pin her. Britt kicks out, obviously. Ultimately, Britt was able to hit a curve stomp on Abaddon while Abaddon was in a chair, but Abaddon gets up after this curve stomp and is just yelling. Britt Baker goes over to Rebel and grabs uh, her uh, customary glove that she puts on before she applies the lockjaw. So, Britt sees Abaddon gets up. She says, okay. She knocks Abaddon back down. She puts thumbtacks in Abaddon's mouth and super kicks Abaddon in the face. Once this happened, Britt then was able to lock in Abaddon into position for the lockjaw. And as she's about to put her hands into Abaddon's mouth, she regrets it and just starts looking in, like, fear. Like, I don't want to put my hand in her mouth. Abaddon takes that fear away. She puts... Uh, Britt's hand in her mouth, and she starts biting Britt's hand, and you hear Britt yelling that she's biting me, and Jamie Hayter and Rebel get on the ring aprons, Jamie gets into the ring and hits Abaddon from behind, and this loosens uh, Abaddon from Britt's fingers. Abaddon sees Rebel on the ringside, uh, ring apron, walks up to him, walks up to her, and grabs her and starts biting her on the side of the face, and she is yelling and yelling bloody murder. And Abaddon is then picked up and rolled up by Dr. Britt Baker because Abaddon keep, didn't keep her eye on the ball. And that's exactly how AEW main event ended with Britt Baker beating Abaddon because Abaddon didn't keep her eye on the ball. The ball being the champion that you're supposed to beat. So that was the end of AEW Dynamite. I want to talk about one more topic before I get you guys out of here. And this pertains to... WWE, AEW, and the whole entire wrestling landscape about one wrestling company. 
uh, in the middle of this week, it was announced that Ring of Honor has decided to let go of all its roster. I mean, they're letting go of their world champion, their television champion, their six-man champion, their newly crowned pure champion, their newly crowned women's champion. I mean, they're letting go of every single piece of talent that they have out of their contract and all that type of stuff because it was announced by Ring of Honor that they're going to finish out this uh, year in Ring of Honor. They're going to finish all this stuff out, but... Ring of Honor will technically have their last show of this year at uh, Final Battle. Once that happens, they're going to take the first quarter of 2022 and figure out what they want to do. They will try to get live events back. They're trying to get all this stuff back before the Super Card of Honor in um, right around WrestleMania time. That's exactly what they're trying to do, so... They let go of all of their roster, right? That means you're letting go of Jay Lethal. You're letting go of Jonathan Gresham. You're letting go of Shane Taylor Promotions. You're letting go of Bandito, Roosh, Kenny King, Homicide, Chris Dickinson, uh, Vincent and his crew, Matt Taven, Mike Bennett. Um, you're letting go of Angelina Love, Mandy Leon, Rock C, who is your new... Ring of Honor Women's Champion. You let go so much talent that AEW, WWE, uh, other wrestling companies out here in the world like uh, New Japan or Impact Wrestling or any other wrestling company to just grab you up now. I see this as a bless for all these wrestlers out here that was under the Ring of Honor uh, banner because there were certain teams and certain people that were just like lifers in Ring of Honor that they were not going to go anywhere. Like the Briscoe Brothers, they were with Ring of Honor since Ring of Honor started. And Ring of Honor started in 2002. So that's almost legit two decades with that exact same company. And Ring of Honor was never on the stature of WWE having television time, AEW having television time, Impact Wrestling having television time. Ring of Honor never had that. Until Sinclair got them, and even then, they were never like live television. How like um, Impact and WWE and AEW like have primetime slots. Ring of Honor doesn't have that. They have it like on a Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, like that type of deal, and that's crazy because Ring of Honor, they should have gotten a deal with somebody. They shouldn't. They should have have. Because whenever you hear about Ring of Honor, it has legitimately the purest reputation around them. Because Ring of Honor has literally gifted this crop and last crop of talented professional wrestlers. It was the standout home for guys like CM Punk, Samoa Joe, Brian Danielson, uh, Nigel McGuinness, who's now known... Yeah, Nigel McGuinness, who's now known as Nigel McGuinness in WWE. Uh, Roderick Strong, Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly, Moose, Donovan Dijak, who's now known as T-Bar in WWE, um, Damian Priest, who was known as Punishment Martinez, um, Keith Lee, who was Keith Lee in Ring of Honor for a short stint of time, but he left, but he still even cut his teeth a little bit in Ring of Honor. Um, I mean, dude, you have so many people that have cut their teeth. Oh yeah, even Seth Rollins. 
who when Ring of Honor was Tyler Black, Cesaro, Austin Aries, Chris Hero. I mean, you've had so many guys cut their teeth in Ring of Honor. And just to hear how Ring of Honor is letting go of all their talent. And yeah, sure, uh, the beginning of 2022, yeah, this is our plan. This is what we want to do. Who's to say that's really going to happen? Things change. A lot of things change. So I'm not sure how this is going to work for Ring of Honor wrestlers and employees that are, aren't wrestlers. I am. I can't wait to see how this turns out because it's just weird to me how a company would just say, yep, we're uh, going to close shop for a little bit after our final event, the biggest event for our company's history, and then uh, we're going to close up shop and just wait until we get everything together at the beginning of January to 2022. It's weird to me. But, again, I'm hoping that all these professional wrestlers that are now released or in the talkings of getting released or whatever the case may be can go out here and spread your wings. The Briscoes already did it. They did it, what, like a week or two ago whenever they went to a wrestling company on the independence that's getting big major traction that wrestlers in the big companies know exactly who this uh found uh federation or local promotion is gcw game changer wrestling and in that promotion their world champion is john moxley the briscoes came over what two or three weeks ago and they challenged for the tag team titles of that independent professional wrestling company and they won them last week so, Briscoes are coming out here. I hope the Briscoes at least get some television time, like legitimate television time with AEW. And I'm not saying that you can sign with AEW. I mean, that's probably the best benefit for them because the Briscoes are chicken farmers. But, again, AEW might not be the best for them. We'll have to uh, see about that. This whole thing is still just weird to me. But, hey. Who knows? We shall see what happens in the future with Ring of Honor. I wish every wrestler, ring announcer, trainee, I mean, everybody under the Ring of Honor banner, uh, security and everything else, because I hope you guys get uh, picked up by somebody. I hope you guys get these experiences that you need on the independence. That's what I'm hoping for. And if anything, I hope that a billionaire like Tony Khan can go over and save Ring of Honor and just talk to them and like partner up with them. Because remember, I mentioned to you guys a couple episodes ago, I believe even on the All Out uh, review, how WWE needs to get themselves together because AEW is working with everybody. And I mean legitimately everybody. Impact Wrestling, New Japan, I started listening to them all off and how... WWE was basically for years kept taking talent from one certain company and I mentioned Ring of Honor literally by name and I said that WWE needs to quickly team up with Ring of Honor but with Ring of Honor like bellying up for the first quarter of uh, 2022 uh, I, did WWE have foresight did they know about this did somebody in Ring of Honor uh, business tell them about this I don't know it's interesting to me when you think about it because why wouldn't WWE want to join forces with Ring of Honor? And I understand people might say, well, no, Joe, they don't want to. Ring of Honor's pure. Yeah, Ring of Honor's pure, but let me not get it twisted. Ring of Honor need that money money in professional wrestling. Vince McMahon 
the WWE, they are Walt Disney. That's simple. They're the end-all, be-all for professional wrestling. And AEW is trying to change that phenomenon, but they're going to have to be around for a long, long set of time before they can ever really trick, like, the people, people away from WWE and get WWE from looking like Disney World and Walt Disney and all that type of stuff. So, again, I'm hoping Ring of Honor gets himself together. The fans that watch Ring of Honor, I know we're sad about it, but, hey, it's fine. We're hoping that everybody gets taken care of. That's all I personally ever care about with any type of business that goes belly up for a certain period of time. How are you guys taking care of your employees? And they've gotten a thing that they are taking care of their employees. They've basically uh, stated that from somebody's contract from now until May, March 31st, 2022, if you want to get out of your contract, hey, we'll buy you out. That's perfectly fine. But if your contract lasts longer than March 31st, uh, 2022, hey, we got to talk about that. And we got to figure out the type of money that will, like, get you out of this contract and not have you basically say something foul about Ring of Honor. That's my interpretation of it. But that is the deal for Ring of Honor. I just wanted to get you guys aware on that. And with that, this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Let me give you the media links where you can find me at on Twitter. You can find me at at My2Podcasts. On Instagram, my 2 Podcast G2. On Yahoo, you can find me on Yahoo, my 2 pod at yahoo.com. Sorry for repeating it. Um, you can find past and pre- uh, future episodes of the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbeam, Amazon Music, and Audible. And I also remember, I also have a Sunday episode tomorrow coming out. I talk about the news and everything else that interests me. And with that, I just want to inform you of that. With that, this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am him, and he is I. I love you all. I hope hope to uh, have you guys here for me tomorrow. If not, you'll hear from me next Saturday. But this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Kanye, take these people home. I'm tired, you tired, Uh Jesus wept.